Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Knowledge Podcast brought to you by the Wahoo Sports Science Team here in Boulder, Colorado. I'm Matt Casson, And I'm Dr. Ginger Gottschall. Today we are discussing a hot topic in the world of nutrition and weight management. This is specifically intermittent fasting and I'm just going to lay it on the line right now. The term fasting with me especially with respect to the folks that I coach and mentor in the fitness world. I don't love the term. What's wrong with the term (laughs) fasting? It's because endurance athletes especially really require a specific regimen of food and water intake in order to be successful in performance. So I don't utilize this specific term when I'm training people is the bottom line. Gotcha. But I do want to be honest that I do love myself a fasted run in the morning. So I wake up and within 30 minutes, I'm out the door. And when she says she loves it, she means six days a week for how many years now unbroken? I'm (laughs) maybe approaching the 19-ish. So, yeah. So clearly there's got to be some upsides to it if you're doing some fasted workouts. I think this is a good point to differentiate, you know, what we're talking about when it comes to fasting, like fasted workouts versus intermittent fasting. Great point. Yes. Have you ever done any sort of fasted training? I have. I was actually, am a relatively big proponent of it as long as it's specifically low intensity. Got it. Never any high intensity when fasted. There's a number of, of benefits there that we can get into later, but it's not for everyone. And there's some definite, some caution that has to be taken if you're going to attempt it. And so intermittent fasting has become pretty popular in the last, you know, couple of years. From all the research that's been done on it, you know, you get significant weight loss. And the big draw to it is really just how kind of simple it is. Right. You're not counting calories or macronutrient ratios. Right. You're just free to, you have certain times where you can eat and certain times where you can't. And generally, if you follow that, most people will get into a rhythm of the actual ratio of macronutrients and all that stuff won't change from just their regular diet. It's just, yeah, you have chunks of time when you can't eat. And so as long as you can determine the date and the time of day, you can complete intermittent fasting. That does sound super simple. Not only is it simple in terms of when you eat and when you don't, the actual protocols you can lay out very simply. There is typically in research, there are three different types of intermittent fasting that have been utilized in actual research methods. And the first one is simply just alternate day fasting. You are eating anywhere from zero to 500 calories on, let's say, the odd numbered days. And the even numbered days, you can eat what is called ad lib anything you want, whenever you want. So hit up the buffet. Every other day. Absolutely. You are going to that brunch buffet and just bringing it all in as, as much as you want. That's, that's literally the rules. The second type is called the 5-2 intermittent fasting diet, where you will have two fasting days that are a little bit more. They're 500 to 1,000 calories. That's for two days, and then for five days, you have no limit. So that's the 5-2 or 2-5. And for that one, is it two days in a row and then five days in a row? Or? It is. Okay. Yes. So in a seven-day week, you have two in a row of fasted and five in a row of eating. And the last one is time-restricted. And this is when you're just eating in a prescribed window. In terms of research studies, the most commonly studied is a 16-8. So you have 16 hours of fasting and an eight-hour period 
of eating. And we will go through some of these specifically with respect to endurance athletes in a bit, but we're going to actually start with just going through some of the pros and cons with respect to weight and energy and cardiovascular variables first. Some big takeaways from the existing studies is for body weight, intermittent fasting basically produces the same reduction in weight in individuals who are overweight or obese or have type 1 diabetes or type 2 diabetes. It produces the same reduction in body weight as traditional dieting. So as a normal daily restricted calorie diet, which again, the advantage of intermittent fasting is it's easier because there aren't many rules to follow. You don't have to really restrict yourself. And then the other side of there's body weight. And then the other important part is body composition because you have lean body mass and fat mass. And what they found is like intermittent fasting doesn't help individuals with obesity to lose more fat mass or to retain more lean muscle compared to a traditional diet. Visceral fat loss, so fat around the, the belly, is the same in intermittent fasting and traditional diets. So again, we're seeing a lot of it has the same results as traditional dieting. All right. So basically, it seems like the calorie restriction is the same in both, and it doesn't really matter about how you go about it, either smaller calories every day of the week or alternating days of fast and calories. Okay. That kind of makes sense to me, and I feel good about that with respect to the math. You're eating the same amount. (laughs) And that actually goes into studies that looked at just energy intake specifically, and it doesn't look like individuals were eating double the amount or more on those eating anything you want days. So therefore, again, no significant difference between a traditional calorie restriction and an intermittent fasting. And does that apply for the three different types of of intermittent fasting that you talked about, the alternating day, 5-2? and It does. For all three of those that have been tested, the energy intake looks to be about the same regardless. With respect to diet quality, there doesn't seem to be any difference with respect to the macronutrient ratio, so carbohydrate, fat, and protein. No big differences with respect to beverage consumption. And that's, they've studied more actually, Mac, in the adult beverage consumption. Mm. So we're talking about alcohol use here. No significant differences in sugar or saturated fat, monosaturated or polyunsaturated, cholesterol, sodium, or fiber, which is actually all good news. Again, it seems to be safe with respect to the quality of food. But one thing that hasn't been looked at is those micronutrient intakes, specifically something like vitamin D or vitamin B12 that's very important for things like the neurosystem, your eyes, muscle development. So those important micronutrients we don't know enough about yet to compare the the two diets. So then another area of just general health, blood pressure is something that is often looked at when you're looking at different diets and in, in research. And so far with intermittent fasting, it's pretty variable what the what the impact has. And generally it seems that it would only help lower blood pressure in people with hypertension or borderline hypertension. And, and it's only at the really the start of the protocol. It's not a continued uh. drop over time. It's really the first couple weeks is when a change, that change in blood pressure will occur and then it levels out. Mm -hmm. So it's an acute change. And actually a lot of these studies are only six weeks. So we don't know long-term benefits of blood pressure. And then regarding blood, you got your plasma lipids. So essentially fat in, in your blood system. And again, a direct comparison shows between 
intermittent fasting and traditional diets shows a similar decrease in LDL, cholesterol, and triglycerides. But there is also a reduction in HDL with intermittent fasting, and HDL is the good cholesterol. Ooh, right. So that seems to be not so good. Then. So that's a that's a check in the the first negative checkbox. Well, I guess the the micronutrients we don't know enough yet. But right. Yeah. So the high density lipoprotein goes down. We want it to go up. So that's something to watch. And I would say that might have to do so. HDL is very influenced by intensity of exercise as well as fruits and vegetables. So that might lead to if you're fasting. You're not actually doing as intense of exercise, which you mentioned in the beginning, which makes sense. And perhaps you're just not getting the same amount of fruits and vegetables. That could be another concern. If we continue on with non-exercise specific studies, it looks like glucose regulation. There is no change in the fasting levels of glucose depending upon what type of diet, either intermittent fasting or traditional you're doing. And the specific variables about insulin resistance and insulin sensitivity are highly variable. So we can't really draw any conclusions, unfortunately, about glucose regulation. In terms of other blood markers, we could look at inflammation and oxidative stress. And there doesn't look like there's any benefit on circulating inflammatory markers. But there actually is some data that shows there's a reduction in oxidative stress markers. And that could be just because you're getting less oxidative stress on those fasting days, which makes sense. Right, because you're not really oxidizing as much stuff. <laughs> exactly. So with all this said, is there anyone that you wouldn't recommend do this intermittent fasting? Yeah, generally, you know, children under 12, that's a no-go. Women who are pregnant or lactating, individuals with a history of eating disorders, which can be very common in the endurance athlete community, so mm -hmm. that can definitely be a something to watch out for. And then older adults, over 70, and then if you are on a medication you need to take with food, it's probably not great a great point. idea. That's really something, though, to consider for sure. Mm -hmm. And it's generally not recommended for adolescents who, are in a, who have a normal body composition. Now let's get into the topic that everybody's on the edge for is, is this a protocol that we could actually recommend or promote for endurance athletes out there listening to even try, right? Mm -hmm. And again, back to my first point with the athletes that I coach, because endurance athletes are training for a long period of time don't have any data on these long-term studies and it requires a greater metabolic and nutritional demand to do these long hours that have at times higher frequency intensity is this something that we would want to promote i'd have to say it depends it does it totally does you know you need to look at it to some extent what is your goal as an endurance athlete are mm -hmm. you doing it to for general health and well-being are you doing it to lose some weight? Or are you doing it to compete at a high level? Because that really dictates if, if you're looking to just kind of improve your health, maybe lose a bit of weight, it's probably worth trying if you haven't done it before, just to see if, if it works for you. If the simplicity of I can eat now or I can't eat now, it's a yes or no question. Maybe that is the, the strategy that'll work for you. And I think it's important regardless of whatever dietary, whatever diet you undertake, there's always going to be proponents out there who've been doing it for years and worked really well for them. And they'll sing to the mountains about how great that specific protocol is. And it's important to remember that everyone's different. And just because it works really well for one person doesn't mean it's going to work really well for you. And that is the bottom line. I think if you hear anything during this 
particular podcast is just, if you want to give it a try, do so. Perhaps get some guidance from a coach and or nutritionist before you go about these specifics, but understand too what type of training you're doing and how to match workouts with the fasted days and also be really aware of hydration, especially in summer months and particular climates. Yeah, especially if you're someone who's used to, say, having a a mixed sports drink when you're riding. If you if you cut that out, you might be drinking a bit less, which again is not a not a good thing. Detrimental. Because you also sure. get a lot of uh, hydration out of the food you eat. So not eating any food, you can just the water that's associated with that. You don't have that coming in. So that can be a, a knock-on effect there. Right. Good. It's compounding for sure. If you speak with people who this works for, a lot of them say it's great because you're going to switch your metabolism from being glucose dependent to more ketone bodies and therefore be burning more fats that you can do a longer exercise session and have absolutely no problem. Sounds good. It might work. All of these studies have to date really only been done in animals. So therefore, we need more data in endurance athletes before we make any assumptions about that potential benefit. Yeah. And one of the big caveats there to the that switch is it is dependent on the intensity of exercise you are doing. It needs to be low enough intensity that it is predominantly fat oxidation as a fuel source. So just because you're fasting doesn't mean you go out and ride hard for two hours that that will make the shift. It's go out and ride pretty easy for four hours. Exactly. And in fact, that two hours of high intensity may be very difficult to do in any capacity anyway. Yeah, because we know that high intensity exercise, your body prefers to use glucose and your body is more effective at producing watts with the oxygen you have using glucose as a fuel compared to fat. Correct. And we do know that from multiple research studies. Yes. That feels pretty solid. There's additional risks with respect to endurance athletes taking on this intermittent fasting diet that include increased fatigue, altered sleep habits, and we go back to the beverage non-adult form of water and energy replacement drinks, which typically lead to hydration with this type of diet. So yeah, keep those things in mind and really monitor yourself with respect to your rate of perceived exertion and energy levels when you're going. Yeah. Another thing to point out here, again, as we've outlined, that there's really, there's not a lot of evidence as to what, that there's a benefit here for intermittent fasting, regardless of the protocol you use. And there's, there's no real difference between it and regular restricted caloric intake dieting. There's no so again, it could be good for you if it's just a simpler way to go about it. I would also, in my opinion, I think that the time-restricted intermittent fasting would be the most appropriate for athletes as opposed to alternating days. Absolutely. So you're talking about that 16 hours of fasting and eight hours of eating, and that's seven days a week. Yes. Right. Yes. Agreed. Having a little something for the fire at all times is good. And it's it's interesting. There's actually been a lot of studies done on that a similar time-restricted fasting with athletes who are Muslim and participate in Ramadan, mm-hmm. which is a, you, for that, for their religion, they have the ninth month of their calendar is they don't eat when the sun's up. Right. Which is actually really fascinating because their calendar isn't 
lined up with the 12 month calendar. So the time of year actually changes. So if it's in the winter and you're in a high altitude, it's, you know, maybe only eight hours of fasting. And if you're, if it's the summer in a high altitude, it can be up to like 19 hours of fasting. That's a fact I find interesting, but there has been a lot of research done there. And again, with the time restricted fasting, a lot of those athletes have been able to maintain their performance over that month. Now, they haven't explicitly improved performance, right? but they haven't lost performance capacity. Correct. And there are also studies on other different types of ancient as well as modern practices of fasting in Judaism and Christianity. So therefore, we also encourage you to respect your beliefs and what comes with those specific religions and our practices and know that you can make it work you're just making some adjustments with respect to possibly your exercise intensities at that time cool well that was a fun little chat about something that is a hot topic that i know see come i see come across my newsfeed multiple times even in a week Mm -hmm. these days yeah so hopefully you have a bit more information now to go out and Maybe try this for yourself or maybe just decide that it's definitely not for you and go to other greener pastures. <laughs> exactly. So that is it for another episode of the Wahoo Sports Science Podcast. And we hope that you'll be able to take some of these tips, some things that you learned and maybe give it a try or recognize that it's not for you. But regardless, we hope that it helps you become a better endurance athlete. So thanks for listening. Yeah.